Well, hello again. I am back from our annual late summer break, which every year turns into late summer, early September break. I am thrilled to be back. You are listening to Hear Her Sports, a podcast for active adventurous women who love hearing stories from other active adventurous women. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in sport through a conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. For the past couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity and tremendous pleasure talking to fantastic women for the fall episodes. I'm looking forward to introducing these women and hearing from you with your feedback. You can always contact me by emailing elizabeth at hearhersports.com. Before I get to the episode, I want to thank The Feed for their ongoing support. For four months, The Feed is sponsoring the Keep Her Forward Female Athlete Podcast Network. The network includes Hear Her Sports, Keeping Track, and Women's Running Stories, formerly called Strides Forward. The Feed is the largest online marketplace for your sports nutrition, offering the brands you know and love from Scratch Labs, Cliff Bar to Morton, plus their athlete customized supplements called Feed Formulas. They carry over 250 brands, so you have thousands of products to choose from and to try. I love shopping at The Feed because I'm thoughtful about fueling my body for training and competing, and not everything I use is made by the same manufacturer. The Feed is a large one-stop shop, so in one shipment, I can get exactly the bars, electrolyte powders, protein powders, and gummy blocks I like. The Feed has been a great partner and has an offer for you too. As dedicated listeners of Hear Her Sports, you can get $80 in credit at The Feed. Just go to thefeed.com slash hearher to claim your $80 in credit at The Feed. All that info and the link is also in our show notes. Okay, now to the reason we're all here. This week's guest is my good friend, Cherie Turner. Cherie and I have worked together on several projects, including organizing the podcast network, Keeping Her Forward. I wanted to have Cherie on the show because she has just returned from a spectacular sporty trip that has been in her mind for many years. It was a huge success, life-altering, and I suspect the beginning of much more. I'm also just excited for you to meet Cherie and hear her story. Cherie Louise Turner is the host and producer of Women's Running Stories, where she shares the running stories of women from around the world at every level of the sport. Episodes often highlight the fact that running is much more than the act of putting one foot in front of the other. Cherie is a lifelong athlete whose first serious competitive love was racing bicycles on the road and the track. In the early 90s, she earned her way onto a professional domestic team. Her post-cycling life has primarily focused on running, and she's raced distances from the 400 meter on the track to 50 miles on trails, all the way to her recent completion of the historic 56-mile hilly road race, the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. These days, Cherie is excited to explore the potential and the benefits of being an older athlete and what it means to improve as an athlete as the years go by. When Cherie isn't running or telling stories about other women running on her podcast, she's probably traveling or looking at animals. Well, hello, Cherie. Welcome. This is going to be super fun. I know. I know. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. You know, you and I talk all the time about being older athletes and, you know, what it's like to be a female athlete now and also earlier in our lives, both, you know, for us personally, but also in sort of the historical context of being a female athlete. So I thought it would be really interesting to have you on Hear Her Sports because you very recently returned from South Africa where you participated in Comrades Marathon and objectively 
epic running race, but also a race that has a lot of meaning for you personally. So I'm excited to have you here and, and talk about it. So let's start really simply. What is Comrades? So Comrades, it's called the Comrades Marathon, but they just use the term marathon in a very generic sense to mean a very long race. So most people associate the marathon with the 26.2 mile distance, which is 42.2 kilometers. And the Comrades is actually 89 kilometers, which translates to about 56 miles. And it is the oldest and largest ultra distance road race in the world. It started in 1921 and it has run consecutively save wartime and also during the pandemic. So they've actually run the race. This was the 95th running of the Gosh, race. That's crazy. It's real. And then when you think about the history of South Africa, like it's it's seen a lot and it has continued to grow over the years. This year was the participation was a little bit smaller. It was just over 13,000 runners. But they've had over 20,000 runners. So oh. I imagine they will be, those numbers will be ticking up. Uh, most of the runners that run are from South Africa. So I think it's just going to take a little time for, for those numbers to come back up. I don't want to stray too far, but do you know what it was like in 1921? Oh, gosh. I, I do know a few details. So very few people, first of all. And the course was, by and large, the same. It runs between two towns, Peter Maritzburg and then the city of Durban. And, you know, there was a lot of, like, dirt roads. And now it's all on paved roads. But, yeah, it was a lot of dirt roads. And, yeah, so a lot more rustic. And the whole idea was to commemorate comrades in war. That was a whole thing, is bringing people together through this incredibly arduous uh, adventure, arduous task of running these, you know, 56 miles, uh, which of course at the time was very unusual to, <laughs> to, to everything I know, like people just, you know, that was not a common thing. So what was the attraction of, of doing it for you? So the attraction was first and foremost, I had become friendly with Anne Trayson and Anne Trayson is, a legend in the ultra running world. She has won the legendary Western States 100 over a dozen times. She's won comrades twice. And my husband was coached by her when he was training for Western States. And we had the opportunity to stay with her a few times. In her guest room, she has all of her running memorabilia and trophies. And there's a picture of her with Nelson Mandela when she won Comrades one of the years. And she was telling us all about her experiences at Comrades and how it was this magical race. And if you ever had the opportunity to go, you should. And at the time, that was not something that interested me. Like running 56 miles was just not really something I wanted to do. But my husband got very interested and it was something that was a goal for him. So in 2019, we went over he ran Comrades, and it was along about the time that I had decided I wanted to start a podcast. So I said, well, if you're going to run this race, then I'm going to tell stories about this race. So I embarked on this journey of telling lots of stories of women's experiences at Comrades, and I fell in love with it. And one of the things that everybody says, which I know now is very true, is that you cannot totally understand Comrades until you run it. I sort of knew in this process that at some point I had to go run it 
And I had signed up to run in 2020, but of course that all went sideways with COVID. And so the first opportunity back was this year. And so I went and I did it. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it, it's so cool. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what your experience was over there. But I do want to follow up on the idea that you can't understand comrades until you've actually run it. I mean, is that something we can address now? I I suppose we can address it now. And I mean, to be fair, like you could say that about a lot of things, right? That you just you don't get it until you've been there yourself. Mm-hmm. But I but I think what really struck me was that you cannot appreciate the magnificence of it and the difficulty of it until you've done it. And those things are incredibly valuable. Uh, and I, yeah, they're, they, they just have really stuck with me. You know, it's, an, it's really, really tough and it's really, really incredible. And one of the other big takeaways, and I know we'll talk about this more, but one of the other big takeaways is looking around and like you're around runners all the time. Like it doesn't thin out much. And so you're, I'm looking around and I, and I was in a pretty comfortable position. So comrades, one thing to know about it is that it has a very hard cutoff at 12 hours. At 12.00.00, there are people who come out and they make a line and you cannot pass over the finishing line if you are coming in after that time, even one second, they defer you off to another direction. So I knew I was comfortably going to be able to finish within the 12 hours. And so I'm looking around and I'm thinking every single person around me is running 56 miles today. And it was just absolutely incredible. So those were some of the things that like, I just didn't appreciate when I was a spectator because I'd you know, been a spectator in 2019. And then the crowd support is, uh, it it really got me through. And I've heard people say that before. And I've been in other races where the crowd support is great. And it is just even better <laughs> at Comrades. So why is it so hard? I mean, why is it harder than just any other 56-mile race? Which sounds hard anyway, but... Yeah, and I... So I've only run 50 miles is the longest I had run in the past. And it actually took me longer because it was a trail race. And it was many, many years ago. And I think I'm actually in better shape now for something like that than I was then. Why is it harder? The Part of it is the pounding on the pavement, I think, gets to you after a while. And another thing to know about Comrades is it switches direction each year for the most part. And this year was what they call a down year. So Peter Maritzburg, which is one end of the race, is up in the hills. Durban is down on the coast. And so when you go Peter Maritzburg to Durban, it's more downhill. And that downhill mostly comes in the second half of the run. It just really, really, really wears on you. And of course, for the up years, then you have lots of uphill. So there, there's almost no flat on this race. That's definitely part of of it. And then also a lot of the roads are banked and running on banked roads downhill is harder than one might imagine. So it's kind of uncomfortable. It's pretty uncomfortable. And yeah, so that all adds up to making it tougher than it might appear, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Describe a little bit more about the down years. I mean, do you feel like you're running downhill? Uh, so, so it's up and down the entire way. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot more climbing in the first half than the second half. And then you hit sort of these long descents that are 
very clearly dissents. I mean, they go, you know, it's, there's one that goes on for quite some time. And it got to the point where I would stop and walk a little bit on the downhills even because I just needed a break because the pounding is tough. Yeah, so the downhills are noticeable. I mean, it is up and down hmm. the in, the entire time. And I'll tell you the other thing is because the downhill starts to get uh, – a bit painful over time. I was really looking forward to those uphills whenever I would see them. Because <laughs> it's also an opportunity to walk. Like, let's be clear. I finished this in just under 10 and a half hours, and there was a lot of walking involved. So, you know, it was a nice time to regroup. And the uphills, I would walk a fair amount of them. I would sort of walk and run and walk and run. Yeah. Did you prepare for the downhills, like in your training? So I live in the Boston area, and there is, there's not much in the way of downhills around here. I did have a trip out to California about a month before Comrades, thereabouts. And so I did do some downhill training out there very specifically. But I, I really, that's the one thing where if I do happen to go back next year, because next year is an odd year, they're doing a down year again. But if I were to go back next year, I would train more in the downhills. It's really critical. But one thing I know helped a lot was strength training. Mm. So just sure. being strong was, I'm sure, very helpful. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything to compare it to. But the fact that I, my body could put up with that much downhill running, I think, speaks volumes to the strength training that I did. Well, let's talk about training, because I know that you yeah. trained specifically, but also not specifically. So, yeah, how did you prepare? So I think by most measures, I prepared in a really unconventional way. So I didn't do I didn't put in that many miles to be more specific about that. The longest I ever ran was 20 miles. And I did that twice. And those runs were I would say that they were slogs because I was doing it in the heat of summer here in Boston. Like I remember getting home one day and it was 100 degrees out and it's humid here. So it was rough. But I think that was very helpful, too, because I just consider it stress and strain. I needed to stress my body over time. And I knew I wasn't going to be running fast. Like my average pace, I think, was a, like it's over 10 minute miles. So just to be clear about that. But I was inspired to not do so many miles actually by your podcast because you had interviewed Dr. Stacy Sims and she talked about how women, especially as they age, just do not need to put in these long, long miles to prepare even for long events. And I tested that theory out at the Boston Marathon, which I ran in April. The longest run I did to prepare for that was 18 miles. I was doing a lot of speed training before that, and I was doing my same weight training, which is two to three times a week, and then some yoga as well. I had a great Boston Marathon. I felt fantastic. I came in very rested, and and it went really, really well. And so I thought, well, I'm going to take a chance, and for my longest run ever in my life, I'm going to apply the same theory. So that's what I did. You know, I did these two 20-mile runs, and the rest of my runs were shorter. I did a couple back-to-back 90-minute -back runs, like a Saturday and a Sunday. And I stuck to my weight training program, which was two to three days a week. And I do work with a trainer. Uh, his name is Tony Gentlecore, and he's wonderful. 
And then I was doing yoga once or twice a week. And I was also doing uphill treadmill hiking just to get my body used to hiking fast uphill. That's about it. And I was eating really well. You know, mm. I also followed Dr. Stacy Sims on like eating lots of protein and I'm sure I don't eat enough, but, you know, really working on recovery and eating and hydrating really, really well. I got my hydration down. And then the other thing about training, especially for a run like this, is that you have to train your gut to be able to consume the water and the food that you need to get through it. So I was really focused on that as well. It all worked out, but it was... Uh, like there was no certainty involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> Take one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing that I noticed is that, and you didn't really highlight, is that Stacey Sims talks about the strength training and the speed work, you know, like the really right. high intensity stuff. And both of those things you were doing just, I mean, in part, just because, you know, that's happenstance you were doing the track training. Yes. Yeah. So I had I had decided to embark on my first time running track uh, starting at the end of last year. So I you know, was running the 800 and the 400 on the indoor track and then the outdoor track. And that training is just it's worlds different from what I had ever done for longer distance running. But I absolutely loved it. And, you know, and then come to find out listening to your interview with Dr. Stacey Sims, that that's exactly what she recommends. So I thought, oh, I'm on track in a way I didn't really realize. So I just went with it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you feel like you were prepared. I, yeah, I, I did feel prepared. And then the other thing was also just sort of preparing emotionally and psychologically. Uh, I really, really wanted to go in. I sort of had two mandates. One was to enjoy myself. And the other one was to stay relaxed. And I managed to do that for the most part. And I think it was incredibly helpful. And then I just had to trust in the fact that I'd prepared the best I could. Right. You know, there's there's nothing to be done once once the 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 two week mark hits, you know, like you're two weeks to go, you're in that taper mode and there's no making up anything. So it was just like, well, I'm I'm in it now. <laughs> you can mess yourself up, but you can't help yourself. Really. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing to be gained and everything to be lost. Right. So. right. What was it like mentally, you know, running for 10 hours? It was really hard. I, like the best way I can describe it is it was just so tough. And I think part of the toughness is reckoning with the fact that you have to keep going until you've done 56 miles. And I know that sounds really simple, but wrapping your head around that when you've never done it before feels it can be feel super daunting. And I remember at one point looking down at my watch and it said I'd run 40 miles and I just sort of laughed because it just seemed like it's a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned nutrition. Talk a little bit more about what you were focused on leading up to the race and then also actually right during the race. How were you fueling yourself during those 56 miles? So in training, I I was trying to eat solid food. I thought that that would be my answer. And I came to realize that that was not a good answer for me. So, <laughs> uh, which was good to know yeah. because I just, I like, I had no appetite for it. I'd sort of choke it down and, and then I just wouldn't eat enough. And what I came to realize worked really well was more simple sugars. I mean, simple sugars and like blocks and goo. 
What were you carrying on your longer runs when you were training in Boston? RX bars and cliff bars is kind of where I had started with the more solid food. And then I switched over. And I'll tell you things like I would stop at a CVS and get like a giant Lipton iced tea with that had sugar in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it would help cool me down. And it had a lot of simple sugar. And I was amazed at how much of that stuff I could drink and still feel great. Mm. <laughs> So, so yeah. And then the, the blocks like cliff blocks or goo blocks or, you know, sure. those sorts of gummy, chewy things. Yeah, those came in really handy. Just things that were super easy to digest. Do you use so. gels and whatnot? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. I, I use various different gels. I tend to find with that sort of thing that my body isn't super picky. You know, and with lots of other runs, I'll, you know, I eat a lot of cliff bars. I do like RX bars because they seem to be a little more whole food-like, but... Just the chewing of them, quite frankly, was it just got to be tiring. <laughs> so <laughs> it's those little things that you don't really think about, but it makes a difference when you're just trying to keep consuming calories and liquids for a long time is, you know, the easier it goes down, at least for me, the the more appealing it is. Did you have a calorie goal for, you know, like each hour or something like that? No. Okay. I just tried to keep eating. Yeah. Yeah. So then during the race, what was going on? So during the race, my stomach wasn't particularly happy. Like I didn't have like massive problems, but I was feeling moderately nauseous, kind of, you know, I'd say about a third of the way in. And that was concerning. And the one thing I started turning to was orange slices and that like my body was so happy to have orange slices. So I would make sure to get those at every single stop. Then a about after halfway through, I did start drinking Coke. There's lots of Coke along the way. So I was just trying to get a steady diet of that. And then I had brought my own blocks and I had brought my own gels. And even when that didn't sound too appetizing, I was basically forcing myself to have them. And it really helped. Yeah. And I think the one thing that's hard for me to get over is just that like you kind of just don't, I don't want to eat. And you realize that you really have to eat. And that was a bit of a hurdle I got over. And I'm sure that that got me through to the end. Yeah, so. I'm always amazed when we watch bike racing that the commentators are always talking about how the race directors in the cars are telling their riders to eat, to keep eating, to keep eating. And it's sort of like, don't they know that already? But, you know, I think you're right that during the heat of the race, you're not that keen on it. Oh, not at all. Like, I wasn't hungry. I, and in fact, like I said, like I was feeling a little bit nauseous and I just kept reminding myself that it's like you have a very long way to go. And if you do not feel yourself now, you are going to be in some huge trouble. Because the one thing I did know going in and I'd heard lots of people say it and I've been around ultra racing for a long time. Like my husband does 100 milers and, you know, I've just I've been around that scene. I've talked to lots of ultra runners. And one of the things everybody will say is once you've dug yourself into the hole of bonking it is incredibly hard to get out of it. Oh, there's no getting back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. basically. Like, I hate to sound so fatalistic <laughs> about it, but it's it's all but impossible sure. to bounce back from. So what was it like? What was the race like? What was it like being in South Africa? Describe the crowds. You know, we've talked about how hard it is already. Yeah, well, and one thing I do want to talk about, and I guess this is part of what it was like, was that even, like, even though it was, like, 
so difficult. And, there, you know, there are points where I'm, I was just like, wow, like, why do I need to do this? <laughs> but there was this very strong part in the back of my mind that I, I can only call it will. And it was a will to finish that race. Like, I really don't think I've ever felt before where I just knew I was going to make it to that finish line. Despite all the other chatter that might have been going on in my head, I just, like, it was even kind of beyond determination. It was just sort of this, like, it was just this incredibly strong will. And part of that was that, you know, I had listened to all these stories about comrades, and I had talked to so many people about this race, and I'd studied it for, you know, several years and I really wanted to honor that, like to have respect for this race that I held in such high esteem. Also, like I had traveled a really long way, so I wasn't keen to not accomplish the main goal of that whole trip. <laughs> and then I will say, and people say this, like the crowds carry you through and the enthusiasm that people cheer with. Like, I just, uh, there were points where I was just like, I, I can't let these people down, you know, because there's like, they're so excited for everyone. And two things really stood out. They were really, really supportive of the women. Like, they, you know, they would just yell like, go women runners. And, you know, just I, it was very specific about like cheering the women on. My husband was up closer to some of the elite women and he said the crowds were just going completely like bananas for the women runners and also like you have your name on your bib and so people were specifically like they would yell out my name and they just look at you and they have this like joy and enthusiasm and I just I it really carries you through like you just think like I I'm there's no way I'm gonna stop uh yeah I mean that's cool it's really cool yeah and you know, and, the, and then the other thing I'd say is that, like, you run through some very poor areas where, like, people don't have plumbing and there's open sewage. And I was very struck a lot that here I am. I'm a foreigner in this country. I have the means to fly over there and have this amazing trip. You know, I really felt my privilege as a human being in this world. You know, that, I don't know, that really made an impact. And, I mean, I get it that, like, I that's the same in the United States, but, I don't know, I felt that very, very strongly. I don't know, I just, it, it struck with me that just, like, I have this opportunity, and I am, I just can't squander it, you know, so... Yeah, there's just there's a, there's a lot going on, and you have a long time to think about all these things too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that you are here listening to another terrific sporty woman tell her story. If you aren't already on the list, I encourage you to sign up for the Hear Her Sports newsletter at hearhersports.com. Many listeners are already signed up and really enjoy reading and finding even more by clicking the links. You will find special offers from sponsors, of course, with the links that take you exactly where you want to go. Mostly, the newsletter is where I write some thoughts on the latest guest and what we talked about in the episode. All the conversations stay with me, so in the newsletter, I'm able to relate those thoughts to a bigger picture of women's sports 
and to everything I've learned from the more than 100 women I've spoken to in the last five years, producing the podcast and other audio projects. Each individual story is important. Equally important is where the stories fit into the context and history of female athletes and women's sports. I'd love to have you join us. It comes out only every other week, so enough to be engaging, but not too much. Sign up at hearhersports.com. You've been back several weeks. Has your sort of experience or your perspective changed at all in those weeks? Like looking back on it, the experience, you know, like what you took from it? I no, I I would say if anything the feelings that I had sort of during and after the race have only become stronger, I oh, guess. Wow. Yeah. Like almost to the I mean it, there really is to the point where I, and everybody says it like when I finished I was like I never have to do this again. <laughs> and I even thought that during the run as it's just like I do not ever have to run this far again. This yeah. is it. And I've said many times like you know, running long distances is, it's it's not my thing. It's not my thing, like lots of ultra runners, right? I like short, fast stuff. That's really sort of my my jam. But I am really to the point where I'm like, I, I would go back and do it again. Wow, so, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because there are a few things that I, I guess I would like to improve on. Like I would like to have an even more positive frame of mind. I wish I would have talked to more runners during the run. I I was pretty quiet, which is unusual for me. <laughs> but, you know, there's a big part of me that was kind of scared. Sure. You know? Of course. Yeah. I think that was kind of it is I was just sort of scared and really focused. I don't feel like maybe I sort of enjoyed and absorbed as much as I possibly could have. Uh, and I would also like to raise money. That was the other thing that I didn't do that I would definitely do next time is run for charity. It'd be interesting to go back and do it again, knowing that you were capable of doing it because yes. you've already done it once. Yes. And so the sort of that part of, you know, tackling this thing would have been off the table. Right. And it's another down year. Like I, I mentioned earlier that they're for, and I don't know why they're doing a down year again next year, but, and it also makes, makes for an unusual situation because one of the things about comrades that people say is that you're not a real comrades runner until you have run your back to back. And what that usually means is that you've run an up run and a down run, and then you get a special medal that indicates that you've done your back to back. And you can only do your back to back two years in a row, right? So I couldn't run like two years from now and get my back to back medal. I would have to go back next year. And it is unusual because it's two down runs. So the medal is going to be different because it they just make a different medal because it's two down runs and not a down and an up medal. So it, like as silly as it sounds, that's appealing. <laughs> just all these little carrots, you know, that are yeah. just sort of silly, but, you know, that helps get you back over there. <laughs> what about the 10 hour medal? Are you yeah, interested yeah, in I going would go for after that? that. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, you were of close. Of course I would. <laughs> you were close. <laughs> yeah, and you know, tw I, it was 10 hours 27 minutes was my run and 27 minutes sounds like a long time, but I definitely noticed where I could make some improvements 
very easily. And part of it would be just doing a lot of downhill running. You mentioned that there was a lot of support for the female runners. Have female runners always run Comrades? Or when did they start? No. Do you know? Yeah. So Comrades actually opened up to runners who were not white men in 1975. So that means black runners and women runners. Oh. So it was during apartheid. Right. And I do believe it was it was definitely one of the first integrated sporting events in South Africa. The other thing that you mentioned was thinking, why do I need to do this? And I want to ask you, <laughs> why did you need to do this? And I want to relate that to, you know, we're both over 50. You know, why do we still do this? Well, a big part of the reason I was doing it was because of the the things that I mentioned that sure. I just, I you know, I... I've really fallen in love with this race. I have a tremendous amount of respect for what the South African people have done. And I wanted to experience it for myself. You know, this dovetails into something that I think we're going to get into a little bit is that the other thing about comrades for me is I genuinely did not care about what my time was. I wanted the only thing I wanted to do was cross that finish line, which meant that I had to finish in 12 hours or less. That's an unusual place for me to be in. And I practiced that at the Boston Marathon this year where I prioritized feeling good and being really happy over a time goal. That's a big hurdle for me because I've been very attached to results and speed for pretty much my whole life. So that was really nice. And I think detaching myself from sort of those time goals and I'm going to be special in this way of going fast. I had much more appreciation for just being another person out there finishing this thing, you know? That gets to a question that I think about a lot is sort of, if that's the attitude, why compete? Like, what is it about participating in a big event that is, Attractive's not the right word, but I mean, is it? Yeah, why do why do that? Why why do that rather than just go out and I don't know, do your own thing? If you're not caring about finishing places, right? Well, for comrades, it really was. I wanted to experience it, and I'd never run that far, right? So that just being able to complete it was a big deal. And and let's not be mistaken. Like I will go back to the track, and I will try and improve on my times. But the other thing that has become more and more important to me is learning how to be the healthiest, most pain-free athlete I can be and not sacrificing those things for performance. And I'm very curious about how I can do that because historically, I would have done just about anything. Like I would have raced injured. I would have... And I have, in training up until fairly recently, just gone out and flogged myself. And I've been very negative in my headspace. I've been super, super critical of myself. I have definitely gone out and done workouts that my body wasn't prepared to do, or not not, not prepared to do, but was too tired to do well. 
And, you know, these are lessons that I'm still learning as an athlete. And and so I'm prioritizing, like, I do workouts when I know I can complete them really, really well. And I understand what pain, what good pain and bad pain, for the most part, feel like in my body. And that's become much more of a priority. So I, I really want to be able to push myself, but in a way that actually for for as much as I can feels really, really joyful and strong and powerful and doesn't have the same negative, uh, like doesn't come with the same negative self-talk and beating myself up like I've done in the past. I was just thinking about this yesterday that for me, being an older athlete is sort of adding to everything that had been before, you know, like trying to go fast and sort of managing fatigue and getting the most out of yourself in every training. But added to that is having to to figure out injury, you know, maintain health without injury. Because <laughs> as we get older, injury is just, it's part of it. Yeah. Well, because all those old bad habits start to manifest in in, well, in injuries, right? Like you can get away with it for a really long time when you're younger, but over time you keep doing the same thing, you know, have the, have poor biomechanics or whatever it might be. And, you know, just doing it more and more results in, in injury, you know, and, and a big part of this is also just doing all the maintenance, you know, which comes with not getting injured. And it's quite frankly, it can get really boring, uh, time-consuming. Oh, it's God. super time-consuming. <laughs> but the rewards are really great, you know. And I, you know, I'll, I'll say this again, but two big things that I've focused on more and more over, I'd say, you know, the last year or so have been yoga and strength training. And it's helped tremendously. And I also, I'll throw in here, too, that I also went through a course of Jay Grunke's of The Balanced Runner, and she uses the Feldenkrais practice to help runners improve their form. And one of my biggest takeaways through her work, which anybody who's not familiar with it, it, it does come off as very different, maybe a little weird, but I find it to be incredibly powerful. And one of the things for me is learning how to relax and be as efficient as possible. So I think that that also works hand in hand with like good form when you're doing strength training and noticing where your weaknesses are and where your imbalances are and just being more in tune with your body. What I like about Jay's method, and I don't know that much about Feldenkrais, but have done some of her lessons, is that this idea that your injuries are not, uh, I guess, static. It's, it, you know, like it, it's not hardware that's going wrong. It's you know, like, as you said, it's how you're moving. And there are ways to improve that, you know, like, you can become a better athlete, even at above 50, and make changes to these bad habits that you've developed over the many years. And it, it, it just seems very hopeful, I guess, is, is what I think. Well, and to piggyback on that, I think a lot about the fact that the body is always changing. And I like to think that the body is always seeking health, and pain free movement. And you know, maybe not everybody feels that way, but that's my hopeful outlook on how how our bodies are. But we have to help ourselves along. So I I always feel like, for the most part, there are solutions to health issues and injuries. 
with injury, I look at it as an opportunity to fix something that obviously isn't working well. I'll give you a for instance is during Comrades. So I slipped a disc a little over 10 years ago, and it caused some nerve damage on my right side. It affects me, especially in my lower leg. And those muscles get fatigued faster than other muscles or faster than the same muscles on the other side. And my shin got really, really tired. I know that sounds so specific and weird, but it was like my shin muscle got tired and it started reverberating into a little bit of a knee issue. When I came home, like that was the first thing I emailed my strength coach and I said, here's what we need to work on. And so this extreme, you know, extreme for me at least, adventure of doing comrades pointed out where I have a weakness and I just see that as opportunity. And it's, you know, it's not fun. Like it still is bothering me a little bit and I know it's going to be fine, but you know, you got to put in the work to strengthen these things. Yeah. I'm, I'm very hopeful about just being able to come back from that sort of stuff. You and I both did some professional bike racing many, many, many years ago. Yes. <laughs> you know, like how do you view this is sort of a complicated question, but how do you view that time of your life and being an athlete back then versus now? Like, do you see yourself as the same person? Are you different? Like, how how are you different? I, so yes, I see myself as different. I, I was fueled by different things at that point in time. I mean, part of it was seeking independence, Part of it was seeking confidence. Part of it was insecurity and wanting to prove myself. And I think that that had both good and bad outcomes. And I think some of the bad outcomes were that I became very self-critical when things didn't go the way I wanted them to. It like really impacted my self-worth. That was not good. But on the flip side, I mean, it was an incredible gift that I got to do this thing that, you know, I got to be a full-time athlete for a number of years. And it was awesome. And it, it definitely informed the rest of my life. So I'll always be thankful for it. But I also, like, I developed some eating issues. And I don't think I ever had a full-blown eating disorder, but I definitely had body dysmorphia and I restricted calories and I was amenorrheic, which means I did not get my period. So I most definitely had red S, even though that's not what they were calling it at the time. So so there there was a lot of that going on. And overall, it was an incredible experience and I I value it extremely. But at this point in time, I especially in recent years I feel like I am finally addressing some of those issues. Like, I really feel like it's been within about the last two or three years that I understand how to eat properly, you know, and that skipping meals is not a good thing and is, you know, not something that I should be excited about or feel victorious over. I mean, it's that to me is is sad. And again, that like I'm finally getting out of this negative self-talk and wrapping up my self-worth in how I perform as an athlete. Uh, and that's it's been a struggle, and especially as I get older, because you kind of know that, like, you, 
Like you're not going to be headed to the Olympics. You know, you're not going to be necessarily hitting PRs. And, you know, that's a much longer conversation about how we can perform as we get older. But not focusing so much on those outcomes in, in terms of them outweighing how I feel about myself or the way I treat my body. So I, fe- I feel like I've become much better about being a truly healthy person and prioritizing that. How do you incorporate sort of objective measures? And, you know, you said we're not going to the Olympics, but do you have speed goals or result goals? Uh, do I have speed? Yeah, you know, I do. I, yes, I do. Like, I would really love to run a sub 20 minute 5K. I came close about a decade ago. And and here's the other thing about the getting older and, you know, performing better than ever, you know, however you want to term it, is that we are in what will continue to be, I believe, sort of this golden age of being an older woman athlete, because there's finally research that is specific to women and specific to women who are aging. And I just think that we are at the tip of the iceberg of what women can do if they want to. So this is the other thing is that being a competitive athlete and pushing yourself like this, it's it's not for everybody. And that's you know, that's totally fine. But I still enjoy it. And I'm trying to find ways to really enjoy the process and see what I could possibly do. Uh, but again, coming back to like, I want to do it in a healthy way. Like I, I'm not willing to injure myself. I'm not willing to bank my self-worth on it. But yeah, I would love to run a sub 20 minute 5k. And I would love to improve my times on the track you know, in the 400 and the 800. And I will keep chipping away at that. And one of the things that really struck me is that you improve over time. And I think coming coming to these pursuits as someone who's been an athlete, I've had expectations that are too... I've had expectations that, like, I can just come out of the gate and, like, do my very best in these events that I've never done before. And that just isn't the case. And that... (laughs) I can I, I actually, totally get that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm an athlete. I know how to train. Like, I'm right. fit and strong. And it's like, but you don't know how to run an 800. You don't know how to run a 400. Like, you, you've never done this before. And so it's humbled me a lot. And it's also made me realize that even though there's this progression of age, which is supposed to make us slower, so conventional thinking goes, I know that I can get faster because I've never done this before. And so that's really exciting. So I'm, I am excited to chip away at these times that, you know, I, I have my baseline now in the 800 and the 400, and I'd like to get faster. And I'm totally excited to put in the work. Like, I love speed work, and I love weight training. Absolutely love it. And I'm now falling in love with yoga, which I used to do, like taking bad medicine, where I was just like, I know I need to do this, but I was just so impatient. And now I have such a great appreciation for yoga that I really look forward to it these days. (laughs) So yeah, I'm excited about all of this. And I'm also excited about the prospect of running something like, like comrades, I did sign up for the Boston Marathon again, because I did get a qualifying time. You know, I think it's good enough that it will probably get me in for next year. And I know that I can approach those runs without having to put in all these miles that just make me feel slow and achy and 
not good. And that's super exciting, too. You know, I don't have to have time goals in the marathon. I can just go enjoy myself. What I like about training for a particular event, and this certainly doesn't change as I age, is sort of that process that you were talking about of improving, you know, figuring out how to get faster, even if my fastest is never going to be what my fastest used to be. But there is that process of learning something, figuring your body out. And now as I age, figuring out how to do it with health, I find that very fun. Well, I do too. That's a perfect word for it too, is just approaching it as fun. And to me, like I, I just get great enjoyment out of I don't know, being an athlete and running fast is really fun, you know, like putting on spikes and going out there and running as fast as you can. Like it is a blast. Yeah, when you can feel good and like really strong and push yourself like that, it's like it, it's really fun. The added benefit is it is good for your health to put in some intensity, regardless of, you know, whether you're competing or or not. I mean, just to keep you young and you know, fit. Well, and engaged. True. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so many benefits to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to being an athlete. And I mean, for me, a lot of it is community. You know, the people I get to be around. You know, I run with a team here, the Tracksmith Boston Hares. And I didn't think that I was going to have other women runners my age or close to my age, who I got to go to races with when I was 52. But here I am, like, and it's super fun. And I can't think of something I'd rather be doing with my time. We've sort of been Pollyanna about how great it is to be an older athlete. But do you get sad sometimes that you're not as fast as you were? Or, you know, like, look back on your older self, wishing you knew what you know now? I suppose if I had to be totally honest about it, I I suppose, yeah, I just, looking back, I, I just wish I wasn't so hard on myself. And the thing that makes me sad too is I know I worked so much harder than I needed to to be slower than I think I could have been, right? Like I dieted way too much and I overtrained. Mm. And I, you know, and, th and that's a bummer. Uh, but I... I also, I'm so thrilled at the fact that we have so many opportunities and resources as older women these days that I, don't, I just feel so lucky to be in this position and for there to be so many women who are excited about being athletes or competing as, you know, as they age, that it, it really does kind of outweigh any, I don't know, regrets or bummers from the past, I really am that excited about it. You know, I just, I feel so, so lucky to get to do this when I'm 52 and almost 53. So, and I don't plan on stopping. So I, you know, I may not, I don't know, I may not compete on the track forever, what have you, who knows, who knows what's going to happen, but, uh, but I hope I always feel good moving. I'm, both sad and thrilled with the resources available to all female athletes. I mean, I think again about the female cyclists now who are pros and just the resources that they have, you know, team nutritionists, for example, we've talked a lot about nutrition. Yep. You know, we certainly didn't have that. I mean, imagine having oh. somebody on your team who you could talk to about 
you know, whose only job was to make you as fit nutritionally as, as possible. Ha. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, just to have support, you know, and I'm not saying that I didn't have support, but, but when also information. I, yeah, information and yeah, and just people like who really care. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I do think and I I do think a lot about that. And I did not think about that so much when I was younger. I mean, quite frankly, I felt really special because I was a woman who raced bikes and there weren't that many of us out there. So like I, you know, I, I felt like a badass or, you know, however you want to say it, like it felt really special to be a competitive athlete as a woman when I was bike racing. They're just, yeah, they're, there weren't that many women around me. I had some great teammates around at the time, but I mean, it was just a handful of people. I guess what I wasn't looking at was like how much support, I wasn't comparing the support that I was getting to the support that say maybe the guys were getting around me. Um, and what that just looks like in general for women athletes at that time that makes me incredibly sad to think if women could have been valued and given the opportunities, how much further along we would be. And it's still, you know, you and I talk about this all the time, but it is still, there still needs to be an enormous amount of improvement in many, many ways in supporting women athletes. Well, we've talked for an hour. Did my enthusiasm for comrades come through enough? Because I think it's incredible I don't know that I would say that I think everybody should go do it. But one thing I would encourage anybody who wants to go do it, I don't know, to really appreciate is what an awesome race South Africa has made. Like, there are just some incredible things that they've done over there. And one of the things I will just point out is that they're really, really good about honoring people who have returned. Like, I mean, it is very much focused also on the elite runners you know, who won and set the records in the top 10. And, and there are various medals for coming in at certain times that, you know, are prestigious to earn. You know, they honor people who have run 10 times and then every subsequent decade and you get a little ceremony and you get your number is yours forever. They do all these things to really honor people who have come back to the race many, many times. I don't know. There are just a lot of really nice traditions that uh, that I think they just do incredibly well. And then the support is just amazing. So I'm glad you mentioned, you know, like maybe this is not for everybody. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, my guests on Hear Her Sports, it sort of feels like, you know, like we're talking to the elite elite, but a lot of the stuff that we talk about, at least I feel can be for anyone. You know, I mean, we talked a lot about not going for specific times or trying to be fast. I mean, a lot of it is just about getting out there, being physically active. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Like, I I truly believe that if you put your mind to it, you can go run 56 miles in South Africa. When I say it's not for everybody, especially if you're coming from someplace like the States, like it's a really long trip. It's expensive. It's and it's a long way to run. It's hard. And so I, you know, so that may not be for everybody, but it's amazing and it's completely unforgettable. And I don't want to be too hyperbolic and say it's life changing. But for me, it's it, 
it's a bit life changing. You know, I think that's a lot of because of what I put into it in terms of my interest and interviewing lots of people and just my my love that has, you know, this love that I have developed for this event. So maybe it wouldn't be that way for everybody, but I just I don't know. I just I I loved it, you know. I I feel just so lucky to have done it. I think that's a great place to wrap up. I do too. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. I've been so excited to talk to you about this. <laughs> Great. Well, that's it for this week. I am so happy to be back. I'm happy you're here, and I'm looking forward to more great shows coming up. A big thank you to Cherie, of course, not just for being on the show, but also for being such a great collaborator. You can hear more from us on our YouTube channel. That link is in the show notes. You can also find a link to Cherie's podcast, now called Women's Running Stories, formerly known as Strides Forward. Hear Her Sports is also looking forward to building our audience, and you can help us. Tell your friends about the show, about one of the athletes you meet here, or about something you learn. There are other ways to keep the conversation going. Hear Her Sports is on social with the handle Hear Her Sports. You can send me an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com. I will always reply because I absolutely love hearing from you and talking about women's sports. And remember to sign up for the Hear Her Sports newsletter. You can do that at hearhersports.com. Until next time, bye-bye. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.